The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. This week we're reporting from CropTech. What's new? Essentially, we're looking to identify plant disease as early as possible. We come from a basis of either granular fertiliser type solutions. Well, it's, it's essentially trying to manage the farm better. So if you can't manage what you can't measure, so that's essentially what we're trying to do with data. We've details of a new methane-powered tractor. There is a prime example. If we put a cap over a slurry pit, we can capture the gas we can cleanse it and we can fuel a tractor from it. And there's important agronomy advice, a look at the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good, if chilly, week. I'm Steve Orchard. Welcome to the Farming Programme podcast. In the news this week, DEFRA Secretary Steve Barclay has used his first speech to announce £45 million in competitions and grants to help the industry become more efficient and productive. The funds will be made available in the coming weeks to launch innovation projects as well as to encourage farmers to use solar, robotic and automatic equipment, said uh, Mr Barclay. DEFRA's £45 million package includes £30 million as part of the second round of the department's Improving Farming Productivity Grant and that provides capital grants of £25,000 to £500,000 towards robotic and automatic equipment with further funding potentially available depending on levels of interest. For the first time, it's going to fund grants of between fifteen and £100,000 towards solar equipment and almost £8 million will be available in the third round of the Large R&D Partnership, a competition specifically designed to boost industrial research and experimental development projects. Mr Barclay also announced £850,000 through the Research Starter Round 4 competition to identify new agricultural solutions. Two calculated criminals from Hull have been sent to prison for stealing over £200,000 worth of tractor GPS kit. Humberside Police recovered 48 GPS units and screens that the pair had stolen. Humberside Police Officer Andrew Green said the pair were calculated criminals whose crimes left farmers without vital equipment they need to do their jobs. It was a complex case, he said, that involved work from multiple teams across the force as well as colleagues from North Yorkshire Police. The theft of GPS receivers continues to be a local priority for the force and they will not tolerate anyone who thinks it's okay to target farmers in this way. Following the sentencing, NFU Mutual warned the scale of GPS theft had worryingly ramped up in recent years. The rural insurer's data shows that in 2022, the cost of GPS theft increased by 15% to £1.8 million. And Lincolnshire produced baked beans are now in the tinning phase after successful farm trials and will be taste testing on next week's programme. Lots of smaller farm vehicles are going electric, but turning tractors green so far proved pretty elusive. But alternative fuel-powered full-size tractors are now coming to the market, including the British-built methane-powered T6 from New Holland. Here to tell us more is their high-horsepower product specialist, David Redman. David, first of all, why have you gone down the methane route? Okay, so that's a very interesting question and one I get asked a lot of the time. Uh, and it's interesting it, it starts really back probably to 2006 where we as new holland we announced uh, what we call our emission strategy driving forward and we call it our clean energy leader strategy and that really was to offer the end user the most cleanest fuel efficient 
burning engines on the market. From that, we started off with running our diesel engines on biodiesel. And then moving on from sort of 2006 to 2013 is when the methane kind of concept was born. And at that stage, we could see uh, things like anaerobic digesters appearing on farms, not so much in the UK, but more into Europe. And with anaerobic digesters, you get gas. And from that gas, they were powering engines. So we kind of thought, hang on a minute, our sister brand, which is Eveco, trucks and buses, because that's part of the CNH industrial under the umbrella. Uh, they had a, an engine that, that can run on gas, a natural gas engine. So at the time, uh, it was a four cylinder engine uh, that we put into a tractor to, to prove the concept would work, that we could fuel it, we could run it. And then from there on in, it's kind of been development all the way. So we went from a four cylinder engine to a small 5.9 litre six cylinder engine. And then we kind of migrated to what we call a 6.7 litre engine. So anybody that's got a New Holland tractor, diesel tractor today, it's the same engine block as we use today. So that kind of is where the concept came. But the whole idea was really gas is available on farm and we wanted this circular economy where farmers could produce fuel and fuel their tractor. How available, you talk about farms actually producing methane, anaerobic digesters, etc. But for those who don't do that, how easy is it to get hold of methane? Doesn't necessarily need to be methane. We can run on natural gas. So again, the market has, is moving really dramatically quite fast. And, and it's quite interesting to to watch. And forgive me because I can never remember the date, but I think it's 2027 or maybe 2028, and you can correct me. Slurry pits, I have to have a cap over the top of them to stop gas from being released into the atmosphere. It's, it's one of those laws. So there is a prime example. If we put a cap over a slurry pit, be it cow waste, uh, pig waste, whatever, we can use uh, via one of our partners in in this called Benament. We can we can capture the gas, we can cleanse it, and we can fuel a tractor from it. So it it doesn't necessarily have to be an anaerobic digester plant. A lot of the AD plants are cropping up, and I think off the top of my head, there's something like uh, 150, 200 uh, plus AD plants in the UK now. They're feeding it with some with um, like maize, um, some are putting food waste in or um, animal waste, whatever, to, to produce it. So we can clean that and we can use that gas. However, I said it's natural gas. Uh, underneath the UK, there is a massive gas grid network. Uh, and if you need to, you can um, speak to one of the gas suppliers and you can tee into that and fill your tractor directly from the gas grid network. So, so you, can, you can actually use the same stuff that you cook on? Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, because the anaerobic digesters, the people that are producing gas, are putting it straight into the into the grid, into the gas main at the moment. So as long as it's cleansed, uh, so I think it's something like 95% pure uh, of all of the sulfurs, then we're, we're, we're good to go. So there's quite a few options how we can fuel our tractor. It's not just limited to an AD plant. Interesting. And give us a bit of spec of the machine itself. It's not too dissimilar to a a T6 diesel. If you stood the two together, uh, the T6 180 diesel tractor that we offer and a T6 180, I'll call it methane power or gas powered engine, to look at them, they're exactly the same. The only kind of real difference you might notice is uh, this one, if it has it as an option, has got tanks on the front. 
as I said earlier, the uh, the engine changes um, in so much as we still run the same block, uh, we still run the same litre cylinder capacity, we have the same horsepower, we have the same torque backup as, as the diesel, and that was clear from day one that we had to be the same as a diesel. But when you look at the tractor engine itself, it's only a couple of things like the cylinder head has changed. So we've now got six spark plugs in the engine, not diesel injectors. And uh, we have gas injectors in the cylinder head and a water-cooled turbocharger and just a small three-way catalyst. However, if you compare that to a diesel tractor, the CO2 emissions, the stuff that comes out of the exhaust pipe, is dramatically reduced. So compared to a stage five diesel today, uh, we can reduce our CO2 uh, output by 75%. The particulate matter, so that's like the black smoke that comes out of the exhaust that we're all uh, being asked to reduce, compared to a stage five diesel today, we can reduce that by 98%. And the nitrous oxide, so the stuff that uh, creates acid rain, the, the nasties, uh, we can reduce that by 62%. So from a green footprint, it really does uh, tick the boxes of, of emissions. And will it do pretty much the same in terms of capacity, operating hours and so on that a diesel would do? In the way of performance of the tractor, it will do exactly the same as a diesel tractor. That That's for sure. It's still got a PTO on the back. It's still got rear linkage. It can run hydraulics, blah, blah, blah. Um, the majority of these tractors we're finding People are buying them for AD plants, so they're using them a lot for road work. Um, and the road work scenario, you'll probably get a good eight hour day out of them. It's not quite uh, exactly the same as a diesel tractor. Uh, it's kind of slightly less, uh, but that's purely because we can't store the gas uh, around the tractor. But the, the, the diesel tank on a, on a diesel tractor is one big tank. On this tractor, you have about nine or 10 smaller tanks on the tractor. So uh, the storage capacity is is slightly less, and that obviously affects the uh, the longevity uh, of the day and the performance. However, we see, as I was just saying, a lot of these tractors are going into biodigesters and places like that, where the tractors are running to and from the yard, and it takes literally five minutes to fill. So what we're finding is, uh, as the tractor's back in the yard, people just fill it up with gas and away they go again. So it's just changing the logic of of how you farm, really. Yeah, you're operating slightly differently. And, and on that topic, is there any difference in the cab or any difference in the way you drive in this? No, no difference whatsoever. It's exactly the same as a diesel tractor. The the only uh, real kind of difference is sitting in the cab. It's about five decibels quieter. Uh, so the engine uh, runs quieter than a diesel engine. Getting into the cab, uh, the thing that you would notice is the diesel tank is gone and there is a big uh, kind of black cover around there that says methane uh, down the side of it. And there's a load of tanks under there. So underneath the the left hand step, so the side that you get into the cab, uh, is the filling point. So uh, it's filled with an industry standard, what we call an NGV1. So it's a natural gas vehicle, size number one filling gun. Uh, and it's just filled from uh, un underneath the step. So that's the only kind of real difference that you would know going into the cab. Everything else is is pretty much exactly the same. Where are we on cost and cost versus operating a diesel, say? Uh, OK, so another interesting question. Cost wise, uh, the retail price is 
probably around about another 10% more uh, than a diesel tractor. And that's not just because we fancy charging 10% more. Um, that's the fact of there's a lot more technology in the way of metal, let's say, in the tractor. So a plastic diesel tank versus, let's call it 10 metal cylinders there is a cost to that there's quite a cost into the front weight carrier because it's got uh, tanks in there as well so that's where the on cost has come compared to a, a diesel tractor when you come uh, talk about the cost when you start to work it out uh, and it really depends on how you're buying your gas or how you're producing your gas but literally over the next first couple of years you should save that money back quite easily in the way of fuel costs i mean diesel prices up and down but if you kind of worked it out around about a pound uh, of diesel pound per liter i think we worked out the gas uh would pay back in in about a year and a half uh in the way of fuel and would you have infrastructure costs so if it's assume you've got an ad or something equivalent or as you say a slurry cover um you, you're gonna have to pay some kind of cost to be able to get that into the tractor yes so to get it into the tractor the gas uh, has to be compressed so you have a small compressor uh, it will then put it into some storage tanks and then from storage tanks it just uses a balance to fill so it's it's kind of like a an empty tank versus a, a full tank of diesel if if you turn a hose on and you put it into the uh, empty tank the two would balance out and that's exactly how the tractor fills itself um fills itself with gas so yes there is some infrastructure cost that's only for from the start from the first one once you've got that in place then you're well away and you'd expect this to balance cost wise over what two or three years something like that if you took everything into account yeah yeah for sure i mean obviously the more tractors that you start to run on it the quicker you're going to get payback but uh yeah for sure over the next couple of years you would be looking at uh, trying to get that payback for sure yeah and it was interesting i mean you mentioned hydrogen uh, uh earlier um, when we look at hydrogen as a, as a company, we, we had a hydrogen prototype tractor, part of that uh, clean energy leader strategy uh, that was kind of first shown. It was shown, I believe, in February 2009. Um, it was like our, our intent to go, to go forward. And the downside that we see with hydrogen uh, at the moment is, is like you're talking about now, storage because hydrogen is um, not as dense when it comes to the gas compared to, to methane. So when you store hydrogen uh, itself, you don't get as much bang for your buck, if you like, out of hydrogen as what you do as what you do methane. And, and hydrogen is not a natural gas to produce. So you have to produce it through electrolysis or somehow, and then you have to transport it. And because it's not as dense, um, its carbon footprint transporting it is is not as good as what methane is. Interesting. And presumably we're still a long way off a decent sized tractor powered by electricity. Yeah. Uh, again, when you look at um, the T6 180 currently at the moment, so that's 180 horsepower maximum. Uh, if you was to try and make that an electric tractor, you'd triple the weight of it and you'd halve the running time. Uh, the capacity is not in the batteries uh, at the moment to, to do any serious work. We look at the car industry, uh, the car industry, they can get X amount of miles out of a car, but the car industry is not really doing any real work. It's just kind of propelling the car along the road and quite often it's just sitting in traffic whereas a tractor is heavy work heavy load 
uh, a lot of the time. So we see a future of battery and we have a battery tractor. Uh, we see it in, in the small horsepower sector. So somewhere around the 70, 80 horsepower sector. And, and for sure, a, a battery powered tractor would be really great in somewhere uh, where you're mucking out cow sheds or something like that. So you can go in with your little electric tractor. You can muck out your cows in the morning, uh, three or four hours use. You then plug it back on charge again and then away, away you go. Uh, and that is you know the company strategy. In the middle horsepower sector, we see CNG as uh, compressed natural gas as, as a solution. And when we start talking about high horsepower tractors, then you've probably seen the uh, LNG, the liquefied natural gas tractor. And that's the only way that you can get the density uh, from the gas to create the power in the engine to get the longer running times to get to where diesel is today. David, fascinating stuff. Very, very interesting. And thank you for explaining it in uh, words that I understand, <laughs> um, because it is a complicated thing and it's nice to sort of get it into plain English. If somebody's interested in finding out a bit more about the T6 and the other range, where would they go for information? Uh, obviously, we've got a massive dealer network across the UK uh, as New Holland. Um, dealers have been there for a very long time. So either on the New Holland website, there's a, a, a section there on alternative fuels and the T6 methane or speak to your local dealer. All right, David Redman from New Holland. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the farming programme this morning. No worries. Thank you very much indeed. So we're cooking on gas. It's time for some timely agronomy advice from our crop doctor, a well-wrapped up Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Winter draws on. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Bit of a shock to the system to get winter so dramatically turning up this week, wasn't it? Off the back of all that rain we've had over the last eight weeks, it's still proving to be a tough autumn. 727 mil for me at the start of November, and I've finished November with another 77.5 mil. So my current total, little over 804 mil for 2023, and that's already exceeded my rainfall record set in 2019. We've still got December to go. Anyway, minus three very widely on several nights over the last few nights so winter definitely here some of the rate fields being as wet as they are a hard frost might be the only way you can physically travel with the sprayer and don't forget that not much is going to change over the next few weeks weed growth wise so it's cold enough for propizamide now but maybe still way too wet so don't go if the drains are running in the field as rick astley says you know the rules and so do i and bear in mind that you can apply propizamide products like curb flow propiz astrocurb etc right to the end of january on a frost as well but do take care if you're spraying anything other than propizamide in the mixture and in those frosty conditions applying anything other than propizamide onto a rime covered crop like fungicides trace elements etc isn't a great idea not least because they'll lock into the ice and as that ice melts you lose some if not all of that as it runs off also though from an efficacy point of view if you consider that the plant needs to be actually growing in order to move things like fungicides and nutrition around inside itself soils are now below five and once soils get down there any growth is going to be minimal fungicides need to move around within the plant and are they going to do that in these conditions probably not in other words if it isn't propizamide alone and it's a rime covered oilseed rape leaf probably best you don't do it and if you've got fungicide in with the propizamide on the rape don't apply it to a rime covered leaf it's simple we only hold the spread of light leaf spot anyway with the fungicide for about three weeks tops and the weather is going to be doing that for us for probably months once it starts to get as cold as this and that will give far better 
better results than we can ever achieve with the fungicide as cold as it's got now. And by the way, it's been down to minus four or colder with me over the last few nights. And that's cold enough to kill some species of aphids, certainly cold enough to kill grain aphids and rose grain aphids. Minus one, minus one and a half will kill them. Needs to be a bit colder, closer to minus five, minus six to kill bird cherry oat aphids though. And all three of those are BYDV vectors. Unfortunately, once it gets down to minus five, it's also cold enough to kill the money spiders that are munching away on the aphids as well. Sadly, there's nothing we can do about that. And the little spiders have obviously been around for millions and millions of years because they're still here. So I'm guessing they can probably look after themselves. Certainly doesn't appear that it's going to get much easier anyway in terms of traveling. There are going to be those who see these hard frosts as the only way they can get any traveling done on some of the cereal fields. Plenty still needing to get the preem on that didn't get applied or any other recommendations as well that have been a victim of the wet stuff, meaning they're still in the shed a month after they were left. But if you do go out on the frost, just make sure the crop is big enough, hard enough and ugly enough to stand it. It's important that any cereals that are sprayed in frosty conditions are sufficiently winter hardy to withstand the effects of the tank mix because every proprietary chemical in every product that we apply contains plenty of things other than just the active substance. Obviously, that's the bit we all base decisions on, but every product is formulated to contain several of a mixture of carriers, wetters, stickers, extenders, surfactants, penetrants. So it's a formulated medium that optimizes and maximizes the target efficiency. So if you go onto a frosted leaf, which by definition will have an already effective leaf surface, then the risk of scorch and crop damage increases dramatically. And with the clear stress that a lot of the crops are showing out in the field, this really isn't the ideal situation for herbicide. Hopefully at worst you just get a bit of leaf tipping, but possibly very serious leaf damage can result. So it's important to make sure that any crop has no rime on the leaf, particularly as it's likely to be a weed killer or contact material that's being applied, because that's where the spray is going to be absorbed into the ice and just run off when the ice melts. And make sure the crops had a frost or two before you go spraying and at least one night clear of the first frost on it as it emerged to make sure the lipid layer on the leaf can rebuild nice and thick. The wax is the thing that protects the leaf from the products we're using. So speak to your advisor and then prioritize and preferably simplify these mixes because everything you put in the tank adds its own little cocktail of adjuvants and surfactants. So the fewer things you put in the tank, the safer that mix is likely to be. Wheats are being broadcast on and cultivated in still because of the conditions. So watch the label restriction, particularly when it comes to the selectivity by depth protection part. If it's only just been broadcast and scratched in, it's unlikely to be safe if the label stipulate in 35 to 40 mil deep and well covered. So be aware of that and talk it through with your advisor. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, Every wheat variety on the list can be drilled until at least the end of January. So there are plenty of people getting the spreaders out, the drag drills out, sticking the drill on the back of the lightest tractor they can find, even raking the old jewels or cage wheels out of the nettles and giving it some of that. All sorts going on out here this year. Slugs still not showing any signs of slowing down. Widespread grazing of emerged cereal crops as well as just seed. And I'm wondering if it's so wet down below the slugs, which aren't amphibious, are much happier to stay above ground despite the colder conditions. Ordinarily, they'd have gone down into the profile when it turned cold like it has, but not this year, not so far anyway. So assume nothing as far as slugs go and keep looking. Plenty of growers who've already put antifreeze in the sprayer and put it away for this year. And there's plenty still need doing in the office, of course. Plans for next spring cropping, fertilizer plans. Don't forget, you can only apply untreated urea from the 15th of January to the 31st of March. You will now need to put a urease inhibitor on any urea that you apply from the 1st 
of April 2024 onwards in order to minimise the losses from volatilisation, etc. Calendar date farming at its very worst, I think, putting a calendar date on that. You've got nutrient management plans, NMAX, four-point nitrogen plans, organic manure records, all of those plans and records for SFI and your other environment schemes to sort out as well. So plenty to think about, plenty needs your attention. So crack on and let's see what the next seven days bring. Thank you, Sean. Crop tech moved from Peterborough to Stoneley this year. What was new at the show? Find out, along with a look at the markets and the weather for the week to come, next on the Farming Programme podcast. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Last week saw the last farming show of 2023, CropTech, which moved to a new location following the closure of the East of England showground. It's now based at Stoneley, and I caught up with some of the exhibitors, starting with TMAC Agro, who very topically have helped for those waterlogged crops. So with TMAC Agro, we work on soil conditioning um, and in enhancing plant growth and enhancing rooting and rooting stimulation. But looking to start off with at soil health, looking at soil structure by making sure you've got your calcium magnesium balance right, the soil will aggregate. So when we do get a break in the weather, that water will go away and yet still be held in that area where the roots can find it. And with the waterlogging that we're having, we find that, again, root growth is inhibited. So looking at something that can enhance root growth, making sure you've got available phosphorus, um, phosphate availability, any sort of pH challenge that you might have can inhibit phosphate availability. We've got solutions that can help with that to enhance the root growth and enhance that sort of uh, side of things. What what do you say solutions? What are you talking about? Something to put on the ground? Yeah, so we come from a basis of either granular fertiliser type solutions or through a liquid biostimulant, depending on what stage the crop's at, what stage of working you're at. Um, So, for example, we have a a protected phosphate product called Topfos, which is fairly new to the UK. Um, And that's got technology in it that protects that phosphorus from locking up and makes it hugely more efficient than the standard TSP might be. Um, because you know, that suffers from pH-related lockup. So we're finding that you can use that at half the rate you might use TSP in terms of the phosphate, avail- phosphate applications. And yet, because it's an on-demand release fertilizer, we are um, finding that there's no um, penalty in the crop yield, in the crop growth. There's a rooting stimulator in there as well, so that increases that rooting, helps that, those crops recover from these sorts of situations. Given the situation that we've had certainly in Lincolnshire and the rest of the country as well recently with uh, waterlogged crops, is this something that is usable this season or is it the kind of thing you've got to put on in advance? Are we too late for this season? Not at all. Um, it, you can put it on as a spring application. Um, you know, coming out of winter, the crops might be looking a bit, you know, struggling to tiller or struggling to you know, make that sort of early growth. Um, so getting it on that early application, when you might be applying phosphate anyway, is, is a perfect uh, time for the, for the product. Okay. Where could we go to find out more information about this then, David? So we go to our website, which is UK. Um, the, the contact details are on there. There's details of the product on there as well. Russell Sharp from Utrema had some help for that perennial, pun intended, problem, black grass. So we're looking at a biological solution. So um, it's a fungus or a couple of fungi that attack the black grass. I don't, I crucially don't attack the cereal, so it's almost selective. And it 
it, hopefully the cereals will grow up and smother the black grass because we've got plants that have been grown in the grow room for six months with this fungus and the black grass is really stunted and so we're really hopeful we've got trials running throughout the country next year so including lincolnshire um, and farmers are doing those trials as well as um, academics and so yeah we're really hopeful it can be used alongside herbicides and other control methods. So. Is it restricted to any particular crop or really will it work more or less with anything that's got black grass in it? Should be any crop that's got black grass. So we've chosen black grass to start with because it's obviously the most economically important weed, but also because it's completely unrelated to cereals. So we wouldn't be applying that to say wild oats because the, the chances are that fungus would also atta- attack the wild the cultivated oats so we've been very specific on the fungi we've chosen and the weeds we've chosen as well so. so this is basically a fungus that will focus its its attention on black grass exactly and we put and what we do is we go on there and we give farmers billions and billions if not trillions of seeds of spores and they just put them in their spray tank whenever they're applying anything and away we go and does that have to be applied at a certain time or can it, it really is it when black grass starts poking its head through yeah we're thinking spring just to so that the, the cereal crop smothers the black grass and, and gets it so the cereal crop actually kills it off just taking a step back how does black grass keep appearing so i did a study where we looked at it we got a van de graaff generator from a local school and we poured black grass seeds on it and they all stuck to it because they've got this special hair that's not on a lot of these um, weed seeds and this hair got like a electrostatic charge and um, and we think that maybe one of the reasons it's successful at spreading is because it's attaching to electrostatic um, machinery and obviously some machinery have methods of stopping that electrostatic building up but that could be one of the methods but also resistance to conventional pesticides is a major reason why it's spreading fast. So you say you've got trials running next year what trials have you done so far to kind of give you a good idea that this is going to work? We've done the the grow room trials so you put the pathogen on the on the on the black grass plant and then we also put cereal crops in and around them to make sure that it doesn't affect them and, and we see that it's effective. But yeah, we've got farmers signed up all around the country so we're all looking for more as well. So, Okay. Where could we find out more information about this, Russell? Yeah, if you go to the Utrema website, so it's E-U-T-R-E-M-A um, or if you just t- put black grass, Russell Sharp in, you'll, you'll find me and stuff, yeah. But it, it's interesting, it's Lincolnshire because in, it's bad in Lincolnshire but where we're based in Daventry, it's even worse. It's like 50% of the crop is black grass. So you think it's bad now, just come and visit Daventry and you'll be thankful you live in Lincolnshire. Russell, thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Steve. Sorbus were at the show too with Pocket Diagnostics testing crops like you and I tested for COVID with a lateral flow test. Tom Wade, what problem are you trying to solve with your tests? Uh, So our testing tools are manufactured by a company called Abingdon Health and the range is called Pocket Diagnostics. Essentially, we're looking to identify plant disease as early as possible. So we have four tests available, one for Phytophthora, which is the most prominent in agriculture, horticulture and arboriculture. We also do one for Erwinia amylivora, which is fire blight, Ralstonia solanocarum, and also Potato virus Y. Essentially, with our tests, they can be used in a reactive measure or a proactive measure. The test will help you identify a disease if you're suspicious it's showing signs of a certain um, dieback or bits and pieces like that. Or you can use it in a proactive measure to make sure that your crop isn't actually infected. 
So the test can identify disease at levels of 0.4% infection, which is long before any physical signs start to show. And early detection will lead to early management to help maintain good crop levels and, you know, highest possible yield. Now, what I did find interesting when I was sent the information about your stand was this reference to COVID or lateral flow testing. It's a similar nature, that, is it? Yes, so lateral flow tests have been around for decades and decades and decades, and now we're all familiar with them because we had to test for COVID. These tests for plant disease are exactly the same. So you have a lateral test strip, you take a sample of plant material, it comes with a buffer solution to help you macerate the tissue of the plant material, and then you simply apply a couple of drops from the solution onto your test strip. And very similar to your COVID, if you have two lines, it's positive, and if it's just the one line, then you're in the clear. Nice, nice simple testing mechanism then. Very simple. You don't really need any training at all. Anyone can use them um, and you get a result within 10 minutes. So it's invaluable. Okay. Where could we go for more information on your service? Uh, you can visit us at sorbus-intl.co.uk. The Pocket Diagnostic website is also online. Just search Pocket Diagnostic. You'll be directed to Sorbus anyway and we'll be happy to help with any te technical questions or sales inquiries. All right, Thomas, thank you and enjoy Crop Tech. Thank you very much. You too. Data, data, data. A buzzword these days. We collect tons of it, but do we make much use of it? Why do we collect it? Sean Stevenson, Commercial Director at Kaywood. Well, it's, it's essentially trying to manage the farm better. So if you can't manage what you can't measure. So that's essentially what we're trying to do with data. But I suppose from what we're trying to do from our end, and we're doing a lot of you know, analytical testing, we're trying to take that data and the key thing for us is, is being able to translate that into actionable insights on farms. So it's not data for data's sake, but you know, it's what does it mean for me and what do I do to implement changes and whatever I want to do, whether that's increasing yield, mitigating against environmental impact, reducing costs, etc. So that's you know that's a part that we play in the in, in that sort of chain. We're collecting inordinate amounts of data. How can we, and I'll point at you with this because that's your job turn that data into something useful we need to ensure that we're not just producing data for data's sake so it's a pretty report and just a load of values on a what does that mean and what can i do to improve my my land so that's yeah and that's our focus that's our, on our we've got like a five-year strategy which we're you know how do we improve the actionable insights how do we deliver that to to our customers so yeah we're, we're on a journey as well so many times data and reports and so on are produced with no disrespect to them by IT guys, for IT guys, and an IT guy can look at it and say, yeah, it's obvious what this report says. We're not IT guys, so how can you turn that into something in plain English that a farmer can go it fairly instantly, I need to do that to that? Yeah, and it's a good example. We were talking to one of our agronomist customers here earlier that we we're developing stuff internally, but we're gonna we're gonna speak to the customer. We're gonna engage with our customers who know the farmers. Probably they're more direct contact with us to to say, well, this is what we're thinking of putting together. This is how we're trying to make it as, as simple to understand. Is that is your farmer customer? Is that going to be easy to digest? So we we work closely with our own customers to try and. Uh, ensure that it's it's a, a easily digestible message not just load of numbers and load of data that, that can't make a head and tail of basically i suppose that's the trouble isn't it if you've got loads of stuff that you're not going to make head and tail of it's going to end up in a drawer somewhere correct yeah exactly yeah it just sits there and i think you know the, the, as i say this this chap we were talking to earlier was just saying the, the farmer goes i don't understand what that I means you just tell me what to do kind of thing so we and obviously that's the advisor's job but we're trying to make it easier for the and and the farmer to understand so if they're both on the same page that will be helpful yeah 
So where could somebody go for more information about what you do? Well, we've got on our website, so we've got uh, www.nrm.uk.com. Um, there's contact details on there. You'll be able to reach out to myself, Sean Stevenson, and the rest of the team there. Porsche were at CropTech showing a new drill. Ben Harrison, tell us more. Yeah, so the Pronto went. So the Pronto is probably one of our oldest uh, drills in the in the uh, portfolio. Um, it went for a revamp. So now we've got a new style uh, tank. Uh, we've upgraded the software, so the software can take more more channels, if you like. So it means we can run more tanks. So three, four uh, tank systems. Um, we've upgraded the, the axle, depending on what type of uh, or what size drill it is, to a taller tyre. So a taller tyre allows us uh, less horsepower, if you like. Guys on real light lands, that stops that bow wave effect. And we've been able to add more and more options to it. Um, even to a point now we're up to a 7.2 metre on the new style tank to hopefully go into that 6 metre market, to that 36 metre tramline systems. So you're saying it's it's lighter, it's not mashing up the ground yep. as, as much as the old ones? So it's, so it's lighter, depending on spec that you have, um, but as a whole, yeah, the, 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 the system itself with the cultivation discs, the tyre packer and the, the seeding element, that's all fundamentally the, the same principle. Uh, everything's just been revamped around it to bring it up to, I guess, 21st century. It's got, you can have, a, rather than having a linear motor for half width, you can have a twin motor, so it stops one side of the roller and it then seeds down one side. You can have a road, a road control system that gives us the ability to close off every single coulter as it goes across a, a scoot or, a, or your headland, if you like, um, to give you a variable tram line rhythms for your road control. It's a very clever system. It slows the rotor down, compensates for the seeds that's in the system itself, rather than just putting seed down the next the next one if you like and you can um, shut off every other one or infinite really you know if you want to do wider row crops you can with the road control system on the Pronto these things are getting cleverer and cleverer aren't they they are <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the tractor that's pulling this along does it need any special kit no just you know, no all the machines come out of the factory to the latest ISO bus um, so the choice of having a terminal with the machine um, or you can plug it straight in the back of the tractor with the isobus and as long as your tractor's up to date the, with the isobus it's all compatible and it'll, and it'll run through it and control from the cab yeah so again um if you're running through the isobus straight to the back of the tractor you can then bring up the interface through the tractor terminal itself um, or if you're having a, a horse terminal or a uh, other make of you know gps systems that you're using it can put itself through there and then depending on what unlocks you have either with our terminal or the tractor it will then do section control and variable seed rates and things like that. So with the drillers themselves, we can, uh, you know, we can offer grain onlys and grain and fur uh, and the ability to be able to mix in as well or go down a separate pipe depending on what, what you have. Okay, I was going to ask you how much is one of these, but I, I'm sure the answer will be depends on the spec that you have. <laughs> yeah, how long is a piece of string and how, how long you cut that string? No, I mean, it's, it all depends on spec now. I mean, the, the thing of drills now are they are, you know, they're an investment. They're not a, a three, four, five-year drill. They are now a seven to ten-year uh, investment, and, and we try and get that right from the, the start of, of spec. We've seen a lot of guys go down a grain and fur road uh, purely because we can use both tanks as grain. And at the moment, they might not be using fertiliser, but in the future, they might want to have that option. So we're seeing, seeing a bit of that going on. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult to say the exact price of a, yeah, of a, a three metre, four or six. 
Ben Harrison from Horsch. We're at CropTech. Thank you for joining us. Have a great show. Thanks for having us. Finally, I bumped into Associate Professor at the University of Lincoln, Thomas Wade, and asked him what the uni's there to talk about. It's showcasing our research in agri-tech and agri-robotics and sustainable agriculture, and also some of the opportunities for industry to get involved with um, R&D projects and some of the funding opportunities around that. Yeah, because the, the, these things are not cheap things to, to do, are they? To produce the next generation of uh, agricultural tech. What kind of things are you looking at people funding? You're right, there's, it's, it's not cheap. Uh, we've got uh, significant investment over the last uh, few years. Um, recent stuff, we've got a new funding stream, which is called Lincam, which is uh, linking Lincolnshire agriculture with Cambridgeshire which you can imagine are very, very productive agricultural regions. Um, and um, we're working with industries to um, kind of bring some of the research and the science to the next phase to get it in, kind of out there into industry. Because the University of Lincoln's been rather successful in its agri-tech, hasn't it? Yeah, over the past uh, five or six years, um, there's been quite a lot of success with um, research funding from sources like UKRI, but lots of other sources. Um, and a lot of it's been working with industry, it's working alongside practitioners, the, the people who can actually deploy these research solutions. What sort of things have we been coming up with? Uh, we've been looking a lot around robotics fronts, so that's um, harvesting with um, robotic platforms and at the campus at the university. Um, there's a lot of work on fruit harvesting, fruit picking, but also we're doing a lot of work around sustainability, so looking at how we can grow crops in low carbon scenarios, whether that be reducing carbon from the soil or reducing the carbon footprint of the products you use in agriculture. Anything else from your notes that you got then? That's right, I can edit all <laughs> yeah, these gaps right. and bits out, um, don't worry about um, I think that'd be all right, that's okay. Yeah? Yeah, that's all right, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, because we, we, we see an think? awful lot of robots with cameras on and things yeah. like that, but when you're talking about harvesting, what are you actually focusing on? So that's vision systems, yeah. um, and a lot of it's predicting when will the fruit be ripe, when is it ripe to pick, you know, so you, you're targeting it at the right time and place for the crop. Um, and so there's a lot of work done around that side of things. So there's a lot of predicting Predicting, yeah, yeah, forecasting and predicting. So okay. a lot of work around that, which does involve um, gathering a lot of data, um, and if a person were to do that, it would take a lot of person hours. Um, but robot platforms can be moving up and down crops, scanning, looking at these things, kind of predicting when, which uh, fruit, which body, fruiting body is going to be right when. Okay. And if a company or a funding stream or individuals are interested in knowing more about what you do, where would they go for info? Yeah, but, uh, yeah happy to uh, uh, chat to them. If they could get in touch with us on the University of Lincoln website and if they go to LIAP, that's our department, Lincoln Institute for Agrofood Technology, um, all our contact details are on there. Lovely. Ian, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Louth Livestock Market, Henry Simpson. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to a special weekly roundup from the Louth Livestock Market. This week was our fat stock show and sale. There was a great turnout of people with an outstanding show of stock, which made a great festive atmosphere. Straight on with the prime cattle, the prime steers saw an on average of 323 pence per kilo and the prime heifers on an average 320 pence per kilo. Big thank you goes to Mr. Philip Parkin for judging. He found his champion from David Nixon of Olford for a limousine heifer weighing 610 kilos and sent him for £3,107 per head or 509 pence per kilo to Lake and to Louth. 
Now onto the cool cows with seven forwards, saw an all-in average of 157.44 pence per kilo. With a top price going to R.E. Needham and Son with a Lincoln Red weighing 785 kilos to £1,318 per head. That wraps up the cattle and now onto the sheep. A big thank you goes to L.J. Fairburn and Son Limited of Olford who donated this year's charity lamb. It was sold six times, toting £890. Now moving on to the prime lambs with 506 forward, which is a huge number, over double number of prime lambs forward compared to this week last year. So an SQQ of 259.27 pence per kilo and an all average of 257.85 pence per kilo. A big thank you to George Housem on behalf of Pickstop Food Limited. He found his champion from GW Allison, a pair of Beltec side lambs weighing 49 kilos and selling for £330 per head or 673 pence per kilo going to Lakins of Louth. Now moving on to the cool ewes with 57 forwards, saw a storming trade of ewes, saw an oil in average of £123.49, with a top spot going to GJ Summers and Son to £200 per head for the first prize cool year. And a special thank you to all the judges and sponsors that supported the Fat Stock Committee this year. And just a reminder, we are sending again tomorrow and we are taking entries for all prime, cool and store cows, as well as prime, cool and store sheep. So please don't hesitate to contact Edward Middleton on the usual market number. This has been Henry Simpson from Mason's Rural Team. Thank you. As Henry mentioned, it was the annual fat stock sale last Monday. And before the sale started, I took the opportunity to have a chat with the auctioneer, Ed Middleton. Ed's been taking care of things at Louth since Oliver Chapman moved on. And now, pleased to say, he's the permanent auctioneer. And I asked him to tell us a bit about Ed. Um, so yeah, we uh, grew up on a family farm in Spilsby. Um, always had a keen interest in sort of the livestock selling sort of systems, uh, markets especially. Yeah, very looking forward to the job going forward. And are you still farming? Yes, yeah, we're carving about uh, 80 cow, pedigree cows, Lincoln Red and Limousin at home. So they take up a, a smaller portion of my time, but going to enjoy this job as well. Apart from being able to speak very quickly, what makes a good auctioneer? Um, I think your people skills probably have got to be your main sort of attribute. Getting on with farmers and that sort of thing is a big part. If they're not going to trust you to sell their stock, um, you won't have anything to sell, basically. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? You've got to sell the stuff, you've got to appeal to both buyers and sellers. Yeah. No, I think the selling thing is your end goal. Um, you've got to build up that relationship and get them to trust you to uh, sell their, their stock. And Louth's still doing well? Yes, very well. Uh, yeah, numbers are considerably growing every week. Um, very good show of cattle today. We've got 40, 42 prime cattle forward and about over 400 sheep. So, yeah, should be a very good day. Prices seem to hold up well here, don't they, compared to some other markets around the country? Yes, yeah, we've been, uh, yeah, we've got a good team of buyers. Um, yeah, Lincolnshire is renowned for quality stock, so we've got a very good, uh, very good following. There's more to a livestock market than just selling livestock, isn't there? Yeah, it's a good uh, social hub. We have a lot of businesses here today. Um, very good uh, social hub. All right, well, look, I'll let you get on. Go and do your auction. Ed Middleton, lovely to meet you, and uh, long may you reign over the auction house at Louth. Thank you, thank you. There's some great photos from the Fat Stock Show and Sale on the Louth Livestock Market Facebook page, and congratulations to the winners on Monday. D. Hickson, D. Cooper, TV Davey, F. Wallace and Son, R. L. Ritchie and Son, and P&B Hodgson and Son. Oh, and great to meet so many of you at the Fat Stock dinner at Kennick Park Golf Club on Friday night. A brilliant evening and thank you for the invitation. To the grain markets now with Open Fields' Alice Killam. Morning Alice. Good morning Steve. Month end on Thursday which brought around a day of book squaring either side of unchanged. Globally we've been drip fed some further news of slowing of black sea exports. 
Russian wheat is moving up, which in theory makes everyone else a little more competitive. And the motif market, which had fallen away at the beginning of the week, has regained some ground as one of the delayed purchases to China perhaps wasn't delayed after all. A big Panamax vessel is currently loading as we speak. The other main story, which is in the background and of course will be bullish for the end of the 23 season, is the current state of the crop in the ground for the 24 season. I'm sure that some of you will have seen comments made this week which suggested that the UK wheat crop was going to be 1% lower. This of course was an intention number some time ago and although we still have December and January for the weather to help us, it is probably likely that we will move from export to import parity. The French are forecasting a possible drop of 20% with Germany 5-10% lower also. Ironically, further south and east it is reported to be too dry. It is this problem with new crop that could create some space towards the end of the marketing season. If the carrier feed grains is good enough, then it's likely that some will be rolled, removing what little export surplus we have in the first place. You can see the theory, I appreciate it is only December. In the meantime, we must hope for some demand. This would be helpful in the short term to move us back up more comfortably into the range. It sounds a little dull, but I think we just need to allow time for a story to develop. With January-February feed wheat trading at circa £180 per tonne, I'm not sure it's going to encourage us all to press the exit button. We've been here for a little while now, and perhaps this is where we will stay for the duration of the season. I just think we need to give it a little chance first. Rapeseed has suffered on Thursday from the end of the month narrative, but it's had a good week. OPEC has decided this week to restrict production again, up to 2 million barrels per day in order to keep values firm. So with this story, and with further weather issues in South America with the growing crop, and the Black Seas with weather delayed loading to the current crop, perhaps this little lift we've seen this week will remain with us for a while. Some guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat, December 175 to 180. February 180 to 190, November 24, 195 to 205, with Group 1 milling premium still holding between 60 and 70 pounds. Feed barley, December 150 to 155, and May 155 to 165. All seed rate for this week, December 360 to 365, and May 370 to 375. As usual, please call for firm values. Thanks, Alice. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A cold start to the week with rain and possibly snow today. Just light and variable breezes and temperatures barely above freezing. Much the same, but it will be a couple of degrees warmer tomorrow. The wind picks up from the northeast as the week progresses. It will get warmer, but with some strong gusty winds and more rain or snow on higher ground. Expect plenty of frost this week as overnight lows drop to freezing point. If you're near Boston, Scunthorpe or Gainsborough this week, perhaps you could bring a present along to our Mission Christmas Stagecoach bus and help a needy kid in the area to wake up with something under the tree this Christmas. For details of where and when I'll be there, check Mission Christmas on linksfm.co.uk. Next week, we'll open up a whole new can of beans, talk steel and look ahead to this year's Louth Charity Christmas Tractor Run. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.